the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. God's people should always be better than the world when it comes to knowing and doing what is right. If the world, if worldly people are telling you and me something that we should already know better, that's a sad day. That's a sad day. We should be so tuned into the Lord and what He says is right and what He says is wrong and then obeying Him. We, we shouldn't, the world shouldn't be smarter, not in terms of what's right and what's wrong. And so David is a picture of this. There is no way for us to get everything right. But as Christians, we need to be in tune with the Father so we can act like the Son, Jesus. The closer we are to Jesus, the closer we are to perfection. In today's message, Pastor Gary will recognize that it can be challenging to love well at all times. Life gets crazy, and we're not perfect people, but again, as Christians, we're called to love, and it will be a whole lot easier when we get our strength and love from the Lord. He is the ultimate example of love and perfection. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 29 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're going to close out 1 Samuel, so let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we can spend in your word, and we ask you, Lord, to bless it to our hearts, teach us through it, and we're grateful for your grace and your love and your mercy over us. Be glorified, Lord, as we study together and help us to apply these things that we learn. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray, and everybody said, amen. So to kind of wrap up where we are, bringing uh, 1 Samuel to a close, uh, David has been on the run from King Saul for some 15 years now because Saul has been very threatened by David's popularity. And David has already been anointed since around the age of 10 or 12 by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. But David is waiting for God's perfect timing. And 1 Samuel is going to conclude with the end of Saul's reign because it's going to be the end of Saul's life. So David is about ready to step into being king, but he's not going to become crowned king immediately. There's going to be some tension within Israel. It's going to be some things he has to overcome. But by the time we get here to chapter 29, because David has been on the run from King Saul for some 15 years, he is weary. And Saul, in chasing him, has wearied himself. And they have both become desperate men. David has become so desperate in running from Saul that in chapter 27, David goes to Philistine territory and joins 
the cause of the Philistines. Remember, the Philistines are perennial enemies of the Israelites. But he's so desperate in trying to run from Saul that he wants to leave the territory of Israel and he goes over towards what today on a map would be like the Gaza Strip area along the Mediterranean, the territory of Gath, and the the king there is Achish, and he goes there to find refuge, and he basically appeals to the king uh, of Gath, Achish, and he says, listen, I know I'm an Israeli, I I know I killed Goliath, I know I have a reputation of being a fierce warrior, but I'm going to serve you, because I'm running from Saul, I'm tired of running from Saul, so I'm going to serve you. There's a very, very um, downtime in David's life. He is clearly outside of the will of God. You don't, you don't fraternize with the enemy uh, trying to escape God, you know, or what God's plan is for your life. But this is how desperate he's become, that he's actually in Philistine territory. He's in enemy territory, and he is actually going to fight on behalf of the Philistines. So it's a very desperate, dark, and, and terrible time in David's life. But equally desperate in Saul's life, because he is so weary for, from chasing David that in chapter 28, Saul resorts to consulting a witch who lives in Endor. And mediums and witch, witches and demonic tapping into the occult has been completely outlawed by God in the book of Leviticus. And Saul, up to this point, had rid the land of of Satanists and uh, witches and witchcraft and the occult. But now he's in this dark place himself. And so he goes, he sneaks under the cover of night, and he consults this witch in chapter 28 because he wants her to bring up Samuel, the prophet, who was the last of the prophets to, uh, during the period of the judges, to die. And so Saul wants wisdom. And what is he doing? He's trying to consult a witch who's going to bring up the spirit of Samuel to give Saul wisdom. Now, as I mentioned last time, um, there's great debate as to whether or not this is actually Samuel who appears to Saul. And there's arguments on both sides. Uh, this is just demonic because it was a witch involved and uh, she brought him up. And so uh, it, it doesn't appear that this is uh, actually Samuel. But then there's arguments on the other side. And I lean towards the other argument that the witch is so startled by the appearance of Samuel, it seems to indicate this was unexpected, that she normally conjures up demons and this one was not so. And that also Samuel, when he appears to King Saul, he prophesies. You never see in the Bible where demons or these uh, satanic spirits who mimic someone ever prophesy, at least not in an accurate way. What Samuel says, or what the appearance of this ghost is to Saul, is 100% accurate in the different things that he prophesies. And it has to do with Saul, and it has to do with the impending death of Saul, it has to do with the defeat of the Israelites by the hands of the Philistines. So, I lean towards the side that this is an unusual, singular time when God actually allowed the spirit of someone to come up to appear to actually rebuke Saul and to rebuke the witch. Remember, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared, just spiritually. So it it isn't like completely unheard of. You see it also in the New Testament where God allowed the spirit of Moses and Elijah to appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Whatever your opinion is about what happened in chapter 28 with the witch of Endor, the point is David is desperate, Saul is desperate, and things are about ready to come to a head. That's where we are now into chapter 29. 
So if you'll read with me chapter 29, it says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Remember, he's the Philistine king of Gath, Achish. And then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? So David and his men, and he has 600 at the time of of Israelites, they're marching with the Philistine army. Now, Achish is on board with this. Achish has taken a liking to David, and he's giving David cover, and he's giving David a place of refuge away from Saul. And of course, Achish, as the king of the Philistine territory, is happy to have David with him, because if you're my ally, you're not my enemy. And he knows that David has a reputation of being a mighty man who defeated Goliath in Israel. So what? You want to defect? You want to come over and be with me? Of course he welcomes that. So Achish is on board with it, but not his Philistine lords or princes. He's got some military officials with him, and they object. They turn around and they see David and his 600 men at the rear of the Philistine army. And these Philistine lords say to King Achish, why are these Hebrews here? These guys can't be marching with us. Read on. It says, And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him and do not let him go down with us to battle lest in the battle he become our adversary for with what could he reconcile himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And so these Philistine princes, they argue with the king and the king is gracious enough to let them argue with them. And they say, you can't have this guy marching with us. Who knows? By the time we get over to Israel and start fighting the Israelites, he might likely change mind. Or maybe he's a double agent who we don't know. And he's going to turn on us and cut our own heads off. This isn't right. Now, F.B. Meyer, F.B. Meyer in his commentary, he says about this, and I'm I'm not quoting him directly, but I'm I'm paraphrasing. F.B. Meyer said, basically, with the Philistines representing the world, okay, And the Israelites, or David and his men, in this case, representing God's people. F.B. Meyer said, and again, I'm paraphrasing, it's a sad day when the world is smarter than the church. Because the Philistine lords realize this is not right. David shouldn't even be with us. David should be on that side. Why is he fighting with us? This isn't right. And so I'm going to turn what F.B. Meyer said and, and make it uh, more kind of in a positive uh, sense. And, and here it is. God's people should always be better than the world when it comes to knowing and doing what is right. If the world, if worldly people are telling you and me something that we should already know better, that's a sad day. That's a sad day. We should be so tuned into the Lord and what he says is right and what he says is wrong and then obeying him, we, we shouldn't, the world shouldn't be smarter, not in terms of what's right and what's wrong. 
And so David is a picture of this. And so here's what happens. Then, verse 6, then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me in the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? Okay, he's going to whine here. Hope there's a little cheese with this wine. Listen, he goes, what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? Okay, now you got to stop, pause here and think to yourself, this is insanity for David to be saying this. They're about ready to march against David's own people. And he's like, why can't I go with you and fight with you against them? Well, see, he doesn't like that the lords of the Philistines have persuaded Achish in this way. And so here's another important principle from this chapter. Don't be afraid to live for the Lord because of rejection from the world. The Philistine lords have rejected David. We don't like him. We don't want him marching with us. And David is like, why can't I? See, David is not really living up to where he needs to be in living for the Lord. He's more concerned about why have these lords of the Philistines rejected me? Why can't I go with you? Shouldn't even be with them. Shouldn't even be with them in the first place. Well, Achish stands firm about it. Verse 9, then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. And so David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now notice this, as this chapter comes to an end, David is not returning to Israel territory. He's just not going to fight with the Philistines. He's not going to march with the army. So he goes back to Philistine territory where he was, where Achish gave him cover. And the territory he's about ready to head into, let's read chapter 30, and it'll tell us in verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. Ziklag. And so here, here's Ziklag on the map. It's in the lower left corner uh, towards the edge of the map on the left side and closer to the Mediterranean Sea, more in, uh, more in the Philistine territory because at this time it's a Philistine uh, city. Now, it wasn't originally that way. Uh, when the land was distributed, Ziklag was a town that was given to the tribe of Judah. Now, David is a part of the tribe of Judah. So this is his ancient uh, territory uh, according to his tribal allotment. But at some point, it appears that the Israelites never successfully took Ziklag as part of the territory of the tribe of Judah. And so Ziklag remains in the hands of the Philistines. And this is where David retreats to. Now, it takes him three days to get there from wherever they were marching. Because it says that his men and he came to Ziklag on the third day. And when he gets there, notice this, this is a very tragic scene. It says that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there 
from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now just... Pause there for just a moment. I want you to try to imagine this. Here, here's what's happened. David and his 600 men have been out fighting. He's, they've, been fight, they've been going with the Philistine army. They've been away from home. Ziklag is where the wives and children of David and his 600 men had been encamped. And while David was away with his men, the Amalekites came. Now, the Amalekites were also perennial enemies of the Israelites. Um, the Amalekites... In Exodus chapter 17, were a people who did not give the Israelites shelter or or food when they were passing through the Sinai area when the Hebrew slaves were set free from slavery in Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land. In Exodus chapter 17, it says the Amalekites attacked them. And God took note of that, that the Amalekites had attacked his people in the middle of the wilderness on their way from Egypt to the promised land. And God did not forget that. But God was also long-suffering with the Amalekites. He waited 400 years for them to turn, and they never did. So, here in 1 Samuel, we read it several chapters ago, but in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God instructed King Saul, one of, your, one, is his, one of the first missions that God gave to King Saul when Saul became king, is I want you to destroy the Amalekites. And God specifically says, because they attacked my people in the wilderness. And he referred back to Exodus 17, which was 400 years earlier. So God said, I want you to strike them all. I want you to take them all. And Saul did not. He disobeyed God. And he allowed Agag, the king of the Amalekites, to live. And he took the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle. And apparently he didn't kill all the Amalekites because there was a few who escaped also. And he kept for himself, Saul did the best. Samuel the prophet, who was still alive at the time, confronts King Saul. So why didn't you destroy the Amalekites? That's what God told you to do. Saul says, I did destroy them. And then Samuel says, well, if you destroyed them, how come I hear the lowing of the sheep? How come, uh, how come I hear, uh, sorry, the lowing of the cattle and, and uh, the, uh, the, whatever the sheep do, bah, uh, of the sheep. And uh, he's like, you know, if you really wiped them out, then I wouldn't be hearing all this. And Saul's like, well, you know, I kept a little bit for myself. And, and, and Samuel's like, yeah, and on top of that, you kept the king, Agag. So Samuel's like, give me a sword. And Samuel kills the king, Agag, of the Amalekites to finish off what Saul should have done. And at that moment, God said to Saul, you've been disobedient to me and the kingdom's going to be taken from you. You're not following what I said. So I bring this up because the Amalekites have stolen, have kidnapped the wives, sons, and daughters. The people that should have been wiped out if Saul had obeyed God have now come to Ziklag when David and his men were away. And they've taken captive all the women and all the children. When you don't deal with the things that you're supposed to, it ends up costing you something. 
And so unfortunately, David is paying in part for what Saul didn't do. And they're beside themselves. It would be devastating. And it was so devastating that it says in verse 6, keep reading, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Okay, notice this. They're, they're holding David responsible. It doesn't record the conversation, but you can only imagine. If you hadn't hauled us out to battle with the Philistines, why are we even here, David? Like, we shouldn't even be here with the Philistines. If we hadn't been gone, if we'd have been here, we would have been able to protect our wives and our kids. Yeah, I know war demands that we have to go off and fight from time to time, but we shouldn't even be here. Now our wives are gone, our children are gone. And for all those men knew they were dead. Now they weren't, but that's for all the men knew they were possibly dead. And they thought of stoning David. We're going to kill you. And what does it say there at the end of verse 6? This is an important verse. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is an important point from chapter 30. Boy, I hope it doesn't escape you. Here it is. Sometimes you may have to encourage yourself in the Lord when no one else can or will. There will be moments in your life, if you haven't already experienced it, when... There's not another human being on the planet who can really minister to the deepest part of whatever is hurting in your soul except the Lord. And we love our spouses, and we love our friends, we love our kids, but there are just some times when they will not be able to or maybe don't have the capacity to minister to those deepest hurts, those places of greatest darkness and distress. Here David is a man who feels completely and utterly alone. All his friends want to kill him and his wives, he shouldn't have to, okay, but that's a whole other subject. His wives are gone and he's feeling completely and utterly alone. And it says here that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Be prepared to do that if you haven't already learned to do that. And it isn't even fair to turn to other people. Because whatever you're going through sometimes is so deep and so devastating that other people can't necessarily even understand or comprehend your personal situation. I don't care how wonderful of a person they are around you. There are just some times that you're going to have to get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, you know, and no other human being can. And don't even try to think to yourself, you know, well, I've been through what you've been through. You know what? Every human experience is unique. And there might be some similarities that you can relate to another person concerning whatever their losses or their devastation. But then there are these unique things that happen in one's life that is unique to that individual. And, and I just want to encourage you, it's okay if other people can't really step into your shoes and feel and understand everything you're going through. God does. And that's when you really need to learn to lean on him, trust him, press into him, and encourage yourself in the Lord. This is what David had to do. Now, I want you to see a couple of things that he did to help himself here in his uh, discouragement, how he strengthened himself in the Lord. So verse 7 says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, 
please bring the ephod here to me. Remember what the ephod was. Ephod was a priestly vestment. And in the priestly vestment, there were stones. One stone they thought was either painted white and one was painted black. And one one was called the Urim, one was called the Tumim. One meant yes, one meant no. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of the king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.